Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me, and I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Father Matt Malone. Father Malone is the president and editor-in-chief of America Media. Over the past 10 years, Father Matt has been at the forefront of Catholic media in the United States and has seen firsthand its digital evolution. He also helped me make this podcast happen, and for that, I'm very grateful to Father Matt. You may have seen the news, the announcement that Father Matt will be stepping down at the end of a 10-year run as editor-in-chief of America Media. And so because I'm in media, as is Father Matt, I want to really delve into the challenges that we face. I mean, we know so much of the conversation out there is highly polarized and frankly, in my opinion, doesn't have a view of the faith, but rather has a view toward how many clicks or how many eyeballs can we get? And what role should truth play in this? Who is truth? What is truth? What are our obligations as believers who work in media to share that truth? And how have we gone astray? And how can we get back on the right path? And what should animate us as we do this work? And maybe some of the highlights of his tenure in America, what really touched him being there in that position. And also we talk a little bit about Jesuit spirituality, which I think is important because it influences, I think, his vision as editor-in-chief of America Media. So I'm hoping you find this conversation uplifting and a reminder of what we as Catholics share together. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, and America is committed to hosting very real, honest conversations in the Catholic Church today. These conversations should educate, inspire, and challenge us to think more critically, more faithfully. That's our mission. That's been Father Matt Malone's mission, who you'll hear from directly today. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please support it by getting a digital subscription to America. How can you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Father Matt Malone is up next. Father Matt, I'm so glad you're here with me on the Gloria Purvis podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I think this is my <laughs> debut. <laughs> well, you know, it's so wild because Conversations with You is what led me here to do the podcast in collaboration with America Media. The kind of honesty and trust that I felt in my conversations with you were so refreshing that I just felt so good about coming here and collaborating with America. So thank you. And now to have you on the podcast, what? what? Oh, yeah. No, oh, that means the world to me. I'm so glad you're here. 
Thank you. You know, Father, because I'm nosy and I don't know this and maybe some of our listeners don't, what led you to the Jesuits? Like what led you that way to understand that this is where your vocation would be? Yeah, well, I was working in politics in Boston and I moved into a neighborhood called the South End. Mm -hmm. And one block away, there was the Curia of the New England province of the Society of Jesus. And I didn't know that at the time, but there was also a church attached next to the Curia. And I just started going to Mass there. And that's where I met Jesuits. And I have to tell you, Gloria, like I had never really thought about being a Jesuit. I don't think I had ever met one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like with a lot of things, it happened through personal relationship. So, you know, people who do vocation work, they always say that the best vocation promotion is when you live your vocation joyfully, mm. right? And mm -hmm. publicly so people can see it. And these Jesuits I met, they had joy, but they also had this incredible freedom. And I was like, where'd that come from? <laughs> and that's when they started talking to me about the spiritual exercises and I started going on retreat and all of that. So, and then, you know, you get to a point where you're like, you know what, I'll have what he's having, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like I want what I want what they have. And so that's how it happened. Then I entered uh, the society when I was 30. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful. Well, first of all, that you had the courage to say yes. You had the courage to follow this. You had the courage to examine it. I mean, that's so beautiful. And I hope our listeners find some encouragement in that and that it's okay to go and examine you know, the spiritual life and not to be afraid of it. And I do think that people sometimes think when they hear the priesthood, the last thing they think of is freedom. Right. They don't realize that there's a freedom in it. No, it's so true. Because at the end of the day, I mean, freedom comes from being who God wants us to be. Yes. Right? And mm -hmm. for me, a key piece of my own discernment was when a priest said to me, Matt, there cannot be a difference between what we most deeply desire for ourselves and what mm -hmm. God desires for us, because God put that desire there. Mm. Now, we have a lot of desires, and they can often conflict with each other, but sure. he was talking about what you most deeply desire. He said, and the, and the work of discernment and prayer is getting down to that deepest, deepest desire. And that was so helpful to me because, you know, you're always thinking about, do I have a vocation or what am I called to? You're looking up and around and looking for like a thunderbolt or something like right. that, right? Right, right. But he was saying, no, journey within, yeah. right, in the spirit of prayer. And you're asking the same question, but you're going at it from a different angle. And that was key for me. Oh, gosh, this is so beautiful. You're going to make me have to go back and read St. Ignatius's uh, spiritual exercises now. Well, if I only accomplish that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, gosh, I love this. But it seems like most of your time as a Jesuit has been spent at America Media. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, that's my understanding as an editor and then editor-in-chief. And now we're coming up on, what, almost 10 years at the head of America Media. And this, I think, gives you a unique bird's-eye view of the entire Catholic media landscape. And when you look out across it today, what do you see? Well, I should say, first of all, you're not wrong. At 13 of the last 20 years, I've been associated with America okay. in one way or another. And you're right. October 1st, 2021 will be my ninth anniversary. And then in 2022, of course, it'll be the 10th. And I let the world know this week that I'm going to be moving on after 10 years, which I think yeah. is the right time. 
I mean, when I look out from my my desk, which overlooks Sixth uh, Avenue here in New York, mm-hmm. but even more metaphorically, when I look out over the Catholic landscape, you know, I see some things that are a lot better than ten years ago, and some things that are not. You know, for one thing, I think the Catholic media have caught up with the technological digital revolution for the most part. You know, 10 years ago, I think if you had gathered the editors of the major magazines and newspapers and the Catholic press in North America, we we all would have been bemoaning the digital revolution. And it was like, oh, we got to have a website and then we got to feed <laughs> the beast, right? You got to have the content out there all the time, right? Yeah. And we're losing yeah. depth and we're not, you know, and how yeah. are we going to fund all of this and everything else? And now I think having developed those platforms in addition to print, the Catholic media sees opportunities that we didn't see before. So we can tell stories and look at issues and discuss things in such a more comprehensive way than we ever could before. There's always a role for print, but, you know, being able to do podcasts, being able to do video, being able to engage on social media presents us with opportunities to really look at an issue from every single angle and to also create many different doors for people to walk through, Mm. right? Because not everybody consumes media and information or wants to enter into the conversation in the same way. One of the things that really concerns me is something that I talked about soon after I came here to America. I wrote an essay called Pursuing the Truth and Love, which really outlined America media's mission for the 21st century. And one of the things that I talked about there was how polarization was wreaking havoc on the country, but also on the church. Amen. We had had imported these categories of left and right and all the rest into the church, and it was structuring our conversation and how dangerous this was because we're not a society, we're a sacrament at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, our unity resides in the Lord, right? Not in our agreement around these ideas and so forth. And so if people look to the Catholic press and they see just the religious version of the cable news lineup, right, then we really have failed. I agree. And, you know, that's one of the things that has troubled me is that if all you see is a secular version and they just slap the name Catholic on it when they deal with the faith in a way that has emptied it of Jesus, has emptied it of trying to understand the solidarity that we have, the unity of the human family. And it really makes it all about a power grab. We got to get this person in office. You know, you got to vote this way as if those are the things that are the defining factors for, for living the gospel and being able to go to heaven. It isn't just how you vote. You do have obligations to the human person outside of, you know, because I do see a checkbox like, look, I've aligned with this party. I voted this way. I'm good. I'm like, no, you're absolutely not. (laughs) You know, you have to, it's not limited to that. There's so many things I think that have to be broader in the discussion of, you know, what it is to live a good life as a Catholic. And I think our bishops need to try to reclaim like a lot of the big topics that are discussed today, reclaim it and put it back into the sphere of how do we examine these things through the lens of faith rather than really pointing to people to align with this party or that party. It just feels like we've lost being able to decipher things from a Catholic point of view because things have become so politicized. Yeah, I think that that's true. I mean, Look, politics has infiltrated every part of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And 
it's also been accompanied by a general debasing of the culture. You know, there's a lack of civility and so forth. Now, people will say, oh, well, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, you know, they said terrible, terrible things about each other. And it was a dirty campaign and all the rest. Highly partisan. Well, this mm -hmm. is true. But see, the thing is, Gloria, they would, back in those days, you would fight a campaign for two or three months and then somebody won and then everybody went home, right. went back to work. Right. You know, went back to their farms, went back to their shops, whatever it was, and uh, those who were able to. And the thing is, it wasn't the 24-hour, seven days a week, constant politics as national pastime, really, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And that is what is so corrosive. Our country is not set up for that. And one of the reasons why it is so corrosive of our society overall is because it's such a great and powerful force in the life of the country that it infiltrates every part of the life of the country, including our churches, yeah. our synagogues, mosques, yeah. intermediate associations like the American Legion or the whatever, right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. these groups that make up what John Courtney Murray called civil society, they are also then structured in the same way along these partisan lines, right? We've seen yeah. it time and time and time again. And it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous for the country, but it's really dangerous for the church because we're not one more NGO organized for public action. We are the body of Christ or we are nothing. Amen. When you talk about it that way, I think it's what's so enlightening about this is the absence of a dialogue, the absence of people in good faith coming together to try to hash out you know, what we think might be best for us living together mm -hmm. in community, right? right? And we see more and more this, I don't know if the word suspicion, but this great, I guess, distrust of the other and that we've got to crush our enemies. Yeah. And it's shocking to see that among those of us who would sit around the Eucharistic table together. Right. Those of us who profess the same faith would behave in this way toward one another. Just And I'm hoping things like the discussions that we have, things that we do on this podcast can be an antidote to that poison, <laughs> pretty much. Well, amen to that. I mean, at the end of the day, if you are a ministry of the church like America, then you participate in the one ministry of Jesus Christ, which is a ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. And so we have to ask ourselves every day, what does that mean when you work in media? Yeah. And from my point of view, what it has meant and what we've been trying to do over the last decade is it means this has to be a place where people come together, where people who ordinarily would not be together or people who are estranged with one another because they belong to different political parties or different factions within the church, that this is a place where they can come together and they can have a conversation yes. that is civil and that is intelligent. Now, that sounds pretty straightforward. It sounds like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what we should be doing. But the work of doing it, I mean, you know. <laughs> yes. You know, Gloria. I mean, the work I of do. doing that, it's hard. And it gets yes. harder and harder the more yeah, polarized the world gets. Especially when, you know, we come from in our faith, we have a certain understanding of the human person. And so we could stand up. I think this is what allows us to stand up against systemic racism and at the same time fight for the protection of the child's life in the womb and the woman, it's all connected, right? right? From this, our grounding of our faith. And I want to know, like, since you're in the position that you are and you can see the whirlwind out there of these discussions and being able to stay grounded in the discussions, whether it's in systemic racism, talking about the life of the unborn, talking about immigration, how do you, amidst this whirlwind, 
stay firm, you know, not allow it to take you away, so to speak. Yeah, I think it comes back to that, what we were talking about at the top of the show. I mean, it's about our relationship with God, our relationship mm. with Jesus, right? I always come back to this great insight of Pope Benedict. He was asked by Peter Seewald in an interview, does the Catholic Church possess the truth? And Pope Benedict said, no, we dare to hope that he possesses us ah. because Ooh. truth is a person. Amen. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, right? Mm -hmm. And that that personal relationship, that being grounded in that relationship is what gives us the freedom to go out and be engaged in the work of dialogue and advocacy and so forth. Because at the end of the day, it gives us the freedom to be wrong, mm. which is important, right? Yeah. Because if we are not free, if somehow being wrong about this or that issue means that we're irredeemable, then we're not going to be able to listen. Right. to anyone else, right? When you proceed from fear instead of faith, you're closed off to the world. And I think that that is so fundamental because the truth is, you, you know, you're talking about that magnificent social teaching of the church and how all of these issues connect. But I sometimes think that we spend so much time arguing about whether how that fits into a leftist worldview or a rightist worldview, yeah. or does it somehow split the difference? I think we forget the radicality of it right? Which is, it's rooted in the radicality of the gospel, Yes, which subverts human notions of power. Yes, it does. So, right? So our witness has to begin in a penitential key. So the first thing I should be thinking when I enter into dialogue is I am a sinner yes. who has been created and redeemed by the God of love. And but for his grace, I would not be here and be able to hear what you might have to teach me. And that kind of humility, when you go into conversations, I think is quite freeing, frankly, and it frees you to listen yeah. and to receive what the other is saying. And I think that's to say that, you know, I could be wrong. Right. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> you, you never hear that, you know, right. or see <laughs> right. that, you know, because it's like, if I could be wrong, that means you're listening to see where is truth in here? Right. How can we come to discover it together through our conversation, right? Right. And that might I be wrong. I know there are some people sitting here listening, and maybe that's quite shocking to them. Can you help unfold that a little bit about that you could be wrong, the freedom to be wrong? Yeah. What I mean is that at the end of the day, the goal of Christian discipleship is not to be right. It's to be holy. Amen. The goal is not to win the argument. The goal is to win heaven by the grace of God. Right. <laughs> and so when I talk about the freedom to be wrong, what I mean is that we have to be vulnerable yeah. enough to really listen to one another yeah. in such a way that we can be changed by the encounter, because then it's really an encounter rather than just a confrontation. We'll be right back. You know, I was thinking about when you say that and having that encounter, that dialogue, from what I understand of St. John Paul II, he was very much into being able to have that encounter with persons who even radically disagreed with him. And he would want to look at an issue from many different points of view. And I think sometimes we're afraid of that. Oh, <laughs> I think yeah. sometimes we're very afraid of that. But I keep thinking, why, why should we be afraid of having authentic conversations with people who think differently than we do or disagree with us? 
And I think sometimes even listening helps us understand or digest the way we think about something more robustly. And right. I and I don't think that necessarily means we shift away from God. Uh, sometimes it even helps form our understanding of something that we once held. It doesn't necessarily mean we step away from it. Like I don't imagine my conversation with an atheist is going to make me say, oh, God does not exist. I right. think I might understand more deeply why I believe God exists when I converse with someone who's an atheist. I mean, I'm hearing their reasoning, and then right. it makes me have to go through my mind and, and try to answer that for myself. Yeah, and I would say more, even more than that, I think you're right. But uh, I, I would just add to that, that mm -hmm. you and I are in that conversation with the atheist because we believe in God. Yes. Because we believe that this person has been created in the image and likeness of God and yes. has an inherent dignity. Yes. Therefore, I have a duty to encounter this unique creation of God in such a way that respects that reality. Yeah. And if it's only an argument, if it's only an argument in the sense of it just being a debate, then we can talk about things just as ideas. But yeah. as Pope Francis reminded us the other day, people are not ideas, right? Right. And we can never forget that. So a minute ago, I was talking about the freedom to be wrong, by which I, that doesn't mean that I don't know what I think about things. Doesn't mean right. that I don't believe in the in Catholic social teaching, right? And certainly in in the gospel and in what the church teaches. Right. What it means is all of that has to be lived in the world yeah. in which we exist, and it has to be applied, and it has to be apprehended, and it has to capture our hearts and the hearts of others if we're to evangelize. And in order for that to happen, then you know I got to be open to that happening in a way that maybe I can't even imagine. Right. 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 You know, I think just in my own life, as I'm thinking about what you're saying, I'm thinking about all my friends who I'm friends with and deeply love who do not believe anything right. <laughs> that I believe. But we are able to relate and love each other in a human level. I guess we all have challenges, work, you know, work, bills, right. family, all right. these things that we can relate to and talk with one another. And the funny thing has always been, Father, is that people are like, gosh, I never thought I would like a Catholic. <laughs> Somebody right. actually believes all things your crazy church <laughs> believes. But it's because right. I love, I'm loving them as people. And I'm not trying to tell them, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. I'm just trying to be authentic friends for them. Yeah. They want to cry about something that's hurting them. I'm there. If they need something, I'm there. So I've seen, even in these relationships, a change in perception of what it is to be a Catholic believer, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, and I think sometimes that is the best evangelization, honestly, is to love people and be with people in friendship, authentic friendship, and not with a ulterior motive that I'm going to really show them how they're wrong. I mean, who goes right. into a friendship that way, right? Well, no, it's absolutely true. I mean, I've been blessed in my life in the last 20 years. There have been two friends of mine who decided to become Catholics, who were not really mm -hmm. believers. And it was so beautiful. It was such a beautiful thing to watch, to witness. And But I didn't set out to convert them. I didn't set out to make them Catholics, right? right. But if they were here, they would say, you know, Matt was, I mean, thanks be to God and all humility. I mean, they'll say, well, Matt was an important part of my journey. But I just tried to live my own faith with some integrity and with some joy. You know, I didn't sit down at their when they invited me to dinner and say, so when are you going to become a Catholic, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> or here's an argument for why the Catholic Church is where you should go and be. And right. Uh, 
No, they, through the course of personal relationship, yeah. they said what I said when you asked me, you know, how did I become attracted to the Jesuits? Mm-hmm. They looked at me and said, I want what he has. Right. Right. I want what he has. I want what he has. And they see that. And it also reminds me of having that relationship is something that the Holy Father has been asking us to do, right? Mm. With people to have authentic encounters with them and to even go to what he calls the margins. Yeah. And I kept thinking how prescient that was. He said that well before our country experienced George Floyd. And at that point, people were like, who are at the margins? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, the Holy Father already called us to this. He'd been talking to us about this. And I think preparing us for whatever is to come to have authentic, these authentic relationships. And as I think about media and we talk about truth and just thinking in this conversation about how media plays a role in what we do here on the podcast is to try to speak truth mm-hmm. so people have and perceive and receive things and can make decisions based on right reason, but the obligation to speak the truth, not to try to twist it or obscure it or to have it lean toward any kind of particular political party, but just to speak it freely and without this intention of trying to shove people a certain direction. I think that's one of the obligations, at least I feel, when I speak into this microphone and understand that the many people listening hopefully will wrestle with whatever they hear and digest it. And then in ways in which they can, you know, they respond to it. An authentic response, that is. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, speaking that truth is why we're here, right? That's the motto of America Media, Mm -hmm. uh, pursuing the truth in love, right? Yes. And that last part is so critical, isn't it? You know, at the Second Vatican Council, the fathers at the Second Vatican Council, they had this beautiful, beautiful document, Dei Verbum, the Word of God, right? Mm -hmm. And in that the opening paragraphs of that, they point out that Jesus Christ is both the means of God's revelation and the content of God's revelation, right? Yeah. What that means then is that if what you are communicating and how you communicate it are the same for God, they Mm got to be the same for us. And if the one we serve is love, then what we say and how we say it has to come from a place of love. Yes. And in other words, no matter how factually accurate the statement, no statement can be called in an ultimate sense truthful if it's not spoken in charity. Amen. Because it's disconnected from the one who is truth if it's not spoken in charity. Amen. You know, that's one of the things that I use when I'm hearing somebody speak, because there are people out there that I think incite us in a way that moves us away from God. And so when I listen, I think to myself, and I get this from a religious sister, she's like, how has your relationship with Jesus been enhanced by listening to this person? (laughs) You know? (laughs) And I was like, you know what, sister? Wisdom there. Thank you. Because we do have, you know, people that I think have the appearance as if they're speaking the gospel, but what you hear is really the anti-gospel. And I need to be attuned to that. How is what this person saying affecting my relationship with Jesus Christ, affecting my understanding of the common good of the human person? And I say this because I saw a lot of that anti-gospel spring up during discussions of what happened with the murder of George Floyd. And it became very alarming to me. And I say this because people were turning toward what I would channels that had political leanings 
and the way in which they approach this issue. And I'm not talking about just TV or radio. I'm talking about YouTube. I'm talking about blogs. I'm talking about social media where what was being pushed toward people was something just contrary to what we as Catholics believe about the human person. But because it was in their tribe, so to speak, their political tribe, they were like, oh, this is so right and it's so good. And I was like, what? I was like, no, it isn't. Right. And to be able to say that without, look, blowback is going to come. That's one of the things I want people to know too. When you start to radically try to live the gospel call, blowback is going to come. Right. But we still, from joy, from that relationship of being anchored in the Lord, we still are going to speak it and with his grace, be able to withstand or bear whatever consequences come from that. Yeah. I always say to people like, oh, if you come away from an encounter with the gospel with your worldview affirmed, <laughs> then you have, you've missed something, right? Yeah, right, right, Because right. it should scandalize you. It should scandalize your worldview, right? And yeah. if you are a gospel-believing Christian— and you come away from witnessing what happened to George Floyd, and you're not scandalized by that, Yeah. then you've missed something, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I recognize as a white guy who lives in New York and grew up in Massachusetts, right, that I missed something. Right. And, you know, I'm still missing something, I'm yeah. sure, <laughs> right? right? Right. And you were talking about how we are called to the margins. I think one of the things by virtue of how I was raised and grew up was I think I always thought of the margins as something far away from me. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the, the ways that George Floyd, that his death scandalized me was I realized, oh, my gosh, these margins are they're right in front of me. Yeah. And I wasn't able to see it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like I also don't want to take that grace, the grace of that that's in that realization and weaponize it. Right. I really want it to be transformative. Right. And for me and for my choices and hopefully for others. And that's the work. Right. As you know, so far better than I, that's the work mm. of that discipleship. Well, I don't know if I know it better than you, Father. <laughs> I'm right here with you just trying every day. And I keep thinking of that invitation, really, that Christ gives us daily in our lives. Just come closer to me. Come closer to me. Yeah. Come closer to me. And in that coming closer to him is you know, walking the path of, of Calvary, walking, taking your cross and following him. And I just think so much has happened to us in the last 18 months, George Floyd, the pandemic, sexual abuse that we've been talking about within the church. All of these things, I think sometimes can be distractions to make us look at things with worldly eyes. But in that, we have to hear the Lord calling us to him and we have to be sensitive to that and try to walk that path toward him. And so in media, trying to have these discussions on these big issues that are affecting the church and the world we come here and have these conversations to try to tease out and find the truth, seek the truth. And to your point, I mean, when our whole debate in the church is about, no, we have to go this way because, you know, Democratic Party minus abortion rights is Catholic social teaching. Or we have to right. go this way and say, you know, no, the Republican Party plus economic justice is Catholic social teaching. Right. And the question you're asking, which I think is the best one is, well, but where's Jesus in all that? Exactly. Where's Jesus in that debate, right? Where's the who that is truth in all of this, right? Because it's a who, it's not a what that we're following. Yes. Yeah. Let me ask a couple more questions. Yeah. I know there are people listening to this who, they're like, how do I even get to know this Jesus? How do I even get to know him? What would be your, just as in terms of a recommendation, where they would start? Well, I mean, reading the Gospels, that's a great place to start. And to really sit down and to engage with the Word of God outside of liturgy. 
to read Jesus's words in the gospel. But there's really one way to do it, which is to learn how to pray. I belong to the spirituality of St. Ignatius. That's where I've found my way of praying. But even yeah. over the course of my life, it's changed and adapted. So yeah. I would say, you know, Father Martin's new book on prayer is really wonderful, also a wonderful place to start. But the main thing is, what I always say to folks is, you're not sitting down with a party platform and deciding whether you agree with it. You are encountering the Son of the living God, or it is not Catholic. It is not Christian, right? Amen. So yeah. it's about relationship, Amen. right? And so you, you have to approach it as you would any other relationship. Mm -hmm. You have to give time to it. You have to be open to what the other person has to say to you. You have to do all those things and uh, have an open heart and open mind. Amen. And, you know, I think when you mentioned the Gospels, people should recall or, or when they're reading it, he is speaking to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He is speaking to you. He is having these words for you. And I think that makes it so much more intimate when we consider it that way. Well, I know our time is almost up, but I have to ask this question. Mm -hmm. Has there been a highlight for you over all this time that you've been with America Media? Um, there are two <laughs> that jump okay. into my mind R real quick. The first is when the papal interview that Father Spadaro had conducted and we were going to publish it. It was the first papal interview ever conducted, his conversation with Pope Francis. When it came back from the translators, because they had the conversation in Italian, and I uh -huh. was sitting at my desk late at night, and I was reading the translation and reading these words of the Holy Father and thinking, this is the birth of a new form of papal communication. He is speaking to us as our brother. And the fact that, you know, the first question was, who is Jorge Mario Bergoglio? And he said, I am a sinner. Mm -hmm. Those were his first words in that interview. And I was so struck by that. I was so struck by his fraternal tone, his vulnerability, the boldness, the courage that he had in saying what he viewed. So that was a real highlight for me. I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm fortunate enough to be in this position as the editor of this magazine that's going to publish this interview, mm -hmm. which is breaks new ground. The second, which has also popped into my head, was in that same year, we published a piece by a kid named Joey Kane, who was living with Down syndrome. And mm -hmm. I think it was the first piece that America had ever published that was written by someone with Down syndrome. Uh -huh. And he talked about in that piece about what it has been like for him to live that life and how he's found God in it and how his family has been and the struggles in it. And I think it was probably the most honest writing we've ever had in the magazine. And it's the piece of which I am most proud. Beautiful. We're going to link to those. We'll definitely have the interview with the Holy Father that was done in September of 2013. We'll link to that in the show notes so that people can read it. Father Matt Malone, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for sharing those two highlights with us. Um, I'm hoping our listeners will read. We put it in the show notes and feel what you felt and understand your perspective that you shared once they read the pieces. I'm just so grateful for all that you've done with America and also for what you've allowed me to do and your openness to me. And I, I sincerely appreciate that. And I feel loved. I mean, that's the only way to say it. I feel loved and I feel heard. And I want to thank you for that. Well, that means the world to me. I said, oh. you know what? Now that we have the Gloria Purvis podcast, I have done what I came to do. <laughs> You're cracking me up. You're cracking me up. Oh. Well, Father, thank you. Thank you. And I'm hoping that everybody listening, please run out and get your digital subscription to America. That's how you can support this podcast and support the vision that Father Matt Malone has set for America. 
magazine, America Media. Thank you. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. Leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Sebastian Gomes and engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.